like that. You want to try that. Hello and all, and welcome to this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Oh my goodness, we are coming off the back of the Bills' first win in three weeks. Yes, yes, yes. They have lost the past two games in the third week, which is today. They have won. They beat the Carolina Panthers 31-18 to in a pretty... Not, not okay. I, I don't really know how I want to describe this game. It wasn't anything spectacular, but it was at the same time a fairly not stressful game. Like to the point of not stressful, my dad started falling asleep or was about to fall asleep in the fourth quarter. Like, I don't know. It was a really, really weird game. It was one where you go in expecting to win, but based off the previous results the Bills have had, you're kind of that, that tiny bit of you is like, oh, they're not going to win. They're not going to win. Logan, they're not going to win. But it's again, it's the Panthers who can't do anything on offense without Christian McCaffrey, who have a Cam Newton that is not the same Cam Newton that won the MVP as what many national media outlets would like you to believe he was when he first re-signed with the Carolina Panthers a couple weeks ago and had two rushing touchdowns on two plays with the Panthers, or two touchdowns on two plays with the Panthers. I, I, one might have been a passing touchdown. And then said the I'm back thing. Cam... You did two things in Arizona, and that was it. And then now we're back to the Cam Newton that we saw in New England last year. And it was just a fairly simple game. And before we get into everything that there is to talk about here on this Monday edition of the Logan Blackman Show, I would like to remind all of you to make sure you go and follow the Logan Blackman Show in all forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, go and like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, and Make sure you're following or subscribed on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and give the Spotify or the Apple Podcast account a rating out of five stars. I would greatly appreciate it. And on Twitter, you can go find me at Logan underscore Blackman. The Instagram account is Blackman Logan, or the show's account is The Logan Blackman Show 1. YouTube channel, just search The Logan Blackman Show. Facebook page, same thing, and make sure to give it a like. And same thing with the Apple Podcast and Spotify account. And since you're already listening to it, might as well just subscribe to it while you're at it. And again, while you're at subscribing, might as well give it a rating on Apple Podcasts if that's the way you're listening to this show. But again, I do not control what you do. You can do whatever the hell you want. It doesn't really bother me. But I would greatly appreciate it if you did. Now, this game, nothing. Absolutely nothing (laughs) happened of note. It was a... I don't know. There were times it looked kind of somewhat stressful, and I would say somewhat kind of where... The Bills just couldn't really move the ball in offense because this is the Panthers team who has one of the better pass defenses in the NFL. They have a lot of good pieces in the secondary. Now that their defense as a team or as a unit is not like the most amazing defense. We're not talking about like the 85 Bears, the 2000s Ravens, no, but it's still a good defense. And the Bills, though they struggled at times against the defense, they eventually broke through. Like the Panthers have players like Brian Burns, Hassan Reddick, uh, over the what it seems like somewhat over the hill, Stephon Gilmore. And a few other players that I, I'm not going to mention right now because there's too many on this. De- <laughs> there's too many players on defense that I don't want to mention right now, or I just don't remember what their names are. So I apologize for that. Jeremy Chin is another really nice player that they have on their defense. Shaq Thompson's an all right linebacker there as well. But yeah, 31-14. It was 17-8 at halftime, which they brought this up at halftime. That is the first time in NFL history 17-8 has been a halftime score. And my dad and I were kind of making fun of my sister about this because she was like, "What's the significance of that score?" It seems like a normal score. 17-8 is not very outlandish, is it? Like, I don't think it's an outlandish score, so I was really surprised. But, hey, my sister kept narrowing it down, so I was like, yeah, it's because it's the first time it's ever happened. But does it seem that weird? It doesn't matter. Have you ever seen it before? No. 
not that you could think of anyways. And the crazy part about this game, or one of the crazy parts about this game, Zane Gonzalez, the kicker for the Carolina Panthers, got hurt in warm-ups, so the Panthers did not have a kicker. They, they ran out like a bunch of different people. P.J. Walker was kicking extra points for a little bit. Brandon Zilstra represented the team in this game as the kicker because their punter wasn't going to be the kicker, I guess, either. He's attempted like five kickoffs or something like that. Either way, kicking was not an option for the Panthers. When I saw that on Twitter about P.J. Walker kicking extra points, I was like, is it really windy? I It didn't register in my mind. Oh, P.J. Walker's the quarterback. <laughs> We've talked about P.J. Walker quite a bit when he was in the XFL and what he's done in the NFL at this point as well. We've talked about him a fair amount, and I still was like, that's not the kicker, but is it really windy outside? And the funny thing is, that's exactly how I got my chance to be a kicker in high school. Now, one of my best friends, is he was our kicker in high school, Brady. He played at Grandview, which, shout out to Grandview for losing to Morningside in the NAI championship game last night. Greatly appreciate that. Losing by 10, I think it was 38-28 to 28 was the final score there. But... Brady got hurt in our game against Roosevelt and Warmers. He was he was dealing with some groin issues going into that game, and then he started warming up, and he was like, oh, yeah, this is it. And coaches told us before the game, me and one of my other friends, Drew, were going to be the emergency kickers because our backup kicker at the time wasn't very good. And Drew and I grew up playing soccer together. So coach was like, hey, you guys played soccer, right? Yeah? Okay, you're our emergency kickers. Sweet. And that was just a way for me to get out of holding as well. I hated holding. Holding is very hard. Like, I didn't, I held my sophomore year of high school because that was Brady. That was the first year we had a kicker. So that was my first time. I was like, oh, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll try out holding for a little bit. And it was easy enough as a sophomore. But as you get older, the harder and harder holding seems. And if you've never done it before, uh, it's not the easiest job. I know it looks fairly easy, but I would say that's almost more stressful than being the kicker <laughs> at times. Now, I know the kicker's job is harder than the holder's, but I would say being the holder, like, your job is just to catch the ball and put it on the ground. Seems easy enough, but when the ball's flying back at you really fast in a perfect spiral, it could slip right through your hands. Like, I remember, I think it was Peyton Manning said the wobbly pass made it easier for receivers to catch. So why can't we have just, like, the backup center be the long snapper and snap the ball slowly? Because <laughs> when I went to William Penn, we, you know, you go to college... You don't have, like, emergency player kickers. I mean, you can, but that's only if the kicker's getting hurt. Now, I don't know if they're listening to this right now, but there was a time where our kicking stuff was not great. At least my sophomore year was not the greatest of all time. But there was one practice we had where it was, like, a, a special teams day or something. It's like you had every position player out there doing a special teams drill, and you rotated like a giant circuit around the field. Quarterbacks, apart from... One or two, two of us were doing special teams drills. The eventual starter, or both the guys who played the most at William Penn, Alex and Tyler. Tyler was our backup, or one of our punters, and Alex was just running special teams drills. Alex became the starter later in his William Penn career, just got done being at William Penn. Tyler was the starter at the time, and both of them were running special teams drills. So me and about three or four other quarterbacks are going to just do nothing. And, they, you know linemen and the line coaches and all the special teams coaches and all that stuff are making fun of you as you go throughout the day doing absolutely nothing. You're really just standing there, and as the quarterback, your job's just to stand there and look pretty pretty much all practice, especially in these when you don't have anything to do days. This is what it felt like to be a kicker at practice because kickers traditionally don't do a whole lot at practice. 
And this day, we are doing less than nothing because we are not even asked to throw. Like, kickers at least have to go out there every once in a while and kick field goals. We didn't do anything. There was a point in the practice where we just started passing, like dropping the ball on the ground, trying to skip it to one another. We tried to practice drop kicks and all that. But there was one point where our head coach was like, hey, uh, you three, come down here. We're going to practice holding. And then we were so bad at holding that they were like, okay, yeah, we're not going to do this anymore. Because our other holders, <laughs> they were doing other special teams drills. Because normally the holder is the punter. That's usually how it works in college the NFL because you spend the most time with the kicker. You're also doing equally nothing at practice, so you can have time warming up with the long snapper, warming up with the kicker, find out what they like, and go, this is how we're going to do it. But backup quarterbacks, you're also not doing anything, but you are going out there and practicing every once in a while. You're not on the sidelines. You're doing other drills. So that's why you usually see the backup or the punter be the holder. Now, there's obviously other scenarios where you can... I've seen, like, safeties be holders before. Our holder in, line, in high school is our linebacker. And in college, we had a, a wide receiver be a holder. Our, back, our other quarterback was a holder as well, but I was not doing it. I was not... I couldn't catch the ball and get it down that fast. Because in high school, you don't have designated long snappers. I mean, we eventually did. But when I was holding, we didn't, you didn't have one guy that was like, yeah, I'm the long snapper. <laughs> yeah, in college, you have... Guys that are brought in like, yeah, you're going to be a long snapper. And it was not fun. I think I took about three or four snaps and they were like, yeah, this isn't going to work. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> hey, if I, if I had to look like, I'm fine looking like an idiot, but if someone gives me an out to where I don't need to look like an idiot anymore, if I don't have to, like, yeah, let's not do that. <laughs> so we went back down the field and started skipping balls to each other and taking drop kicks, which our head coach walked up to us and tried to quiz us about who scored the last drop kick in the NFL. I'll pause right now for those of you out there to try and take a guess on what who scored the last drop kick in the NFL. It was Doug Flutie. He was playing for the New England Patriots at the time, and the only reason I really know that is because I watched the game. I watched it. I watched it live. So <laughs> I, I, felt, I was like, Coach, you really kind of catch me slipping like this? Do you not realize I host the world-famous logo? Actually, it wasn't world-famous at the time. It was more of a, like, I don't know, somewhat well-known around the football team. That's about it. Now, you could say it might just be above that level right now. But just for confidence-boosting reasons, we're going to say it's worldwide known. <laughs> World, internationally known. Or Mr. Worldwide like Pitbull. You know you change the game when you search Pitbull and I pop up more than the dog. Change the game. Now, I don't know how many other Logan Blackmans that host the Logan Blackman show out there, but I'm assuming that I cornered the market on that. Okay? Just saying. But yeah, that, that's the life of the emergency kicker. Like, went in, kicked off against Roosevelt, my dad's high school, and it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. But I had played soccer before, and I at least practiced up until that point. I don't think Brandon Zilstra or PJ Walker went in this game going, yeah, I'm going to warm up because coach told me the entire season I was the emergency kicker. So I'm going to warm up the entire season just to prepare for this one odd moment where Zane Gonzalez can't kick today because he pulled something in his kicking leg. I don't think that happened. So you could tell by the lack of extra points in field goals the Panthers took today because obviously the score 18-31, they went for two, got it the first time, went for two the second time, did not get it. But yeah, there, I would be willing to bet P.J. Walker and Brandon Zilstra were not practicing field goals all season. But in this game on the Buffalo Bills side, Josh Allen had three passing touchdowns in the game, also had 24 rushing yards. Devin Singletary, round of applause for Devin Singletary, 86 yards rushing and a touchdown today. 
Now, the Panthers, what they are as a pass unit, is pretty good defensively. Rush defense, they are not that ideal. And the Bills O-line did not play amazing today. I mean, Brian Burns and Hassan Reddick are two very good defensive football players for the Carolina Panthers, so they struggle a little bit. Spencer Brown mainly. And now we've said a few times a season, Spencer Brown is the most important lineman the Bills have, and it's not necessarily that I think he's a world beater or anything, but Spencer Brown, if he doesn't play, that means the Bills got to play <laughs> Cody Ford. And that's the last worst-case scenario the Bills want to have. Now, with Deion Dawkins and John Feliciano being out with COVID, Cody Ford was going to make his way into the lineup anyways, but Spencer Brown had five penalties today. I think the Bills totaled seven penalties. <laughs> and I, I love Spencer Brown. I mean, I went to college with him. I had a class with him. I'm not saying we were best friends or anything, or even, like, even on the realm of even being friends, but... I talked to him. He was always friendly to me. There was a class that we had. It was a public speaking class. I knew one other person in the class, and I talked to Spencer a little bit. So I could say that I was an associate, to a certain extent, of an NFL player. Two of them, because I played with Reed Sinnott as well. You know, famous quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles, greatest high school quarterback of all time, yada, yada, yada. So I'm, I'm pretty much in with all these big-time NFL players, just saying. But yeah, he, did, he didn't play great. Then his last penalty he got was a taunting penalty, which taunting penalties are stupid anyways. I think everybody can agree with that on that, on this, at, jeez, everybody can agree on that at this point, but he did bend over and you could see him yell at the defender after the Bills got a first down off a Devin Singletary run. And then Spencer Brown, after five penalties and struggling to block Brian Burns all day, uh, got pulled, but for two plays. And then he was back in the game at left tackle because the Bills really have no other options at tackle with Deion Dawkins being out. And Deion Dawkins has been the person that's gotten probably the second most hate on the Bills offensive line apart from Cody Ford this season. And Deion Dawkins, we've never said, is the greatest offensive tackle of all time. But he's been very good for the Bills up until this year. He got COVID before the season started and kind of looked out as saying, I don't know if that had a lot to do with it. Apparently he almost died from having COVID. He was in the hospital for a long period of time in this offseason. So I don't know if that has something to do with it, but he has not played great. And remember, remember, I think the Bills' main problem with their offensive line is the fact that Taylor Lewan still has not played for the Bills since that Titans game. Because remember, according to expert Fox Sports analyst Chris Broussard, the reason the Bills did not get it on fourth down is because Taylor Lewan got hurt earlier in the game. Now, for those of you who are unaware and don't understand the joke, Taylor Lewan has never played for the Bills, and he has always played for the Tennessee Titans. And he played in that game against the Buffalo Bills. And he said Dawkins, whoever, whatever his name is, or something like that. Which is why Chris Broussard, I mean, his opinion doesn't really matter anyways. I don't think anybody actually sits there and goes, I wonder what Chris Broussard is going to say today. I mean, I guess some people do, because you wonder what stupid thing he's going to say next. But that one takes the cape, because he was so confident in saying that. Now, if Taylor one was on the Bills, would the Bills be better offensive on the offensive line? Yes. He would be an instant upgrade over everybody on the O-line. But the fact of the matter is, he is not on the Bills, nor has he ever played for the Buffalo Bills. And Deion Dawkins, I think, after this game, people are starting to come off him a little bit because Spencer didn't play great. He's the Bills' best right tackle, but left tackle was a different story, and the Panthers lined up Brian Burns on his side every single day, and he struggled. I mean, you're a third-round draft pick who was supposed to be a project piece on the O-line, and you are instantly slotted into the lineup because Cody Ford's ineptitude at guard and he's getting beat up against these really, really good pass rushers, which should be pretty unsurprising at this point. 
I think Spencer just had an off day. I think he'll bounce back next week against the New England Patriots. Like, you have three straight weeks, four, where you're going to play Matthew Judon, Shaq Barrett, Brian Burns, and now, again, you got to play Matthew Judon again against the New England Patriots. But yeah, I mean, fairly simple game. Three touchdowns for Josh. Again, Gabe Davis had two receiving touchdowns in the game, 85 yards receiving on the day. Stephon Diggs had a touchdown. Stephon Gilmore was back in Buffalo, and uh, yeah, he does not... He's not the same Stephon Gilmore that he was in New England. He is not that at, at, anymore. Like, this is a guy that was an all-pro. with the He was a pro bowler with the Bills. Very up and down in his time in Buffalo. But then transformed into an all-pro plus a pro bowler plus being named NFL Defensive Player of the Year. And now he got traded the Panthers from the New England, or got cut from the Patriots or something. I can't remember. Because they had a weird contract dispute with the Patriots. And now he... He didn't look great. He got totally beat on the second touchdown by Gabe Davis. He bit on the fake so hard. The Bills went for it on fourth and two. Josh rolled out. Gilmore just sprinted towards Josh, and Gabe Davis was wide open to just walk into the end zone. But, yeah, uh, there's not really a lot to say. I mean, the past two weeks, there was things to rant about. Nothing here. Nothing. Bill. 31-14 win. Now, again, the Bills are going to be taking on the New England Patriots next Sunday for potentially the division crown. Now, remember, the Patriots beat the Bills two weeks ago on Monday Night Football 14-10 in a very frustrating game where you remember the, the national media bashed it into your brains. The Patriots had three pass attempts, ran for 200-something yards in the game, and just embarrassed the Bills. Had two completions on the day. What embarrassing for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, now, in this game, the Patriots played the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday and lost 27-17. But uh, I haven't heard anybody really talk about the B- Patriots getting embarrassed by the Colts. And they lost by more points. Okay? They lost 27-10. to 10. 10 points. Bills lost by 4. Carson Wentz completed 5 passes and the Patriots had 226 yards. And remember, Damien Harris against the, B- the Bills had a 67-yard rush. And that was pretty much all their yards. The Colts, Jonathan Taylor had a 67-yard run as well on 39 attempts. Gassed them for 5.9 yards of carry. Now, Jerry Sullivan, infamous Buffalo reporter, talked to Jordan Poyer and Micah Hyde after the game and asked if they were embarrassed after having that game. Uh, is anybody going to fly to New England and uh, ask the Patriots defense if they were embarrassed for getting bashed for 20, 226 yards and only five completions? while getting beat 20 to nothing going into the fourth quarter and losing by 10? I don't know if anybody's going to talk about that. I haven't heard anything about it. I haven't really heard anything about the Patriots getting embarrassed by the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday. I don't think so. I, I could be wrong, but I just probably haven't seen it. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm following the wrong people on Twitter. Maybe that's the problem. Maybe I'm just not... I, I don't know. I didn't watch the game because I went to uh, Sound of Music at the Des Moines Playhouse, which was excellent, by the way. Very good play. It was about three hours long, but it didn't feel like three hours at all. And I was afraid it would feel like three hours long because <laughs> we were very cramped in these tiny little seats. Now, this play thing is very, very old. and But it was very comfortable, but it was fine. It was a good play. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So I didn't get to really see a lot of the New England Patriots getting embarrassed by the Kansas City, or by the the Indianapolis Colts on Saturday. Embarrassed. Patriots should be ashamed of the performance that they put on in this game. Embarrassing performance from that Patriots defense. 
embarrassing. Now, I, I stumbled on my words a little bit. I accidentally said the Chiefs because the Chiefs game is right above the Colts-Patriots game. And the Chiefs beat the Chargers on Thursday Night Football 34-28 to with Travis Kelsey scoring an overtime to win the game. And this one could all pretty much come down to the Chargers just refusing to kick field goals. Now, it's very exciting to watch teams go for it on fourth down. It always gets people excited. And the Chargers have been the most, I don't know, rambunctious, most risky team when it comes to going for it on fourth down because they do it almost every single time regardless of whether they are on the field. Like against the Pittsburgh Steelers on Sunday Night Football, the Chargers went for it on like their own 40-yard line, up by seven. And unsurprisingly, they didn't get it. And unsurprisingly, even further, the Steelers went down the field, scored a touchdown, and tied up. Now, the Chargers won that game, so it didn't really matter in the grand scheme of things that they did not get the fourth down conversion. This game, against the division foe, uh, yeah, with the Chiefs offense, should probably uh, just settle for field goals every once in a while. Because they were in the red zone, I think, five times and came away with one touchdown. That's pretty bad. If you settle for a field goal on any of those attempts, <laughs> you are uh, you win the game. You don't need to go to overtime to seal this game out. Now, one thing that did bother me in this game, and a lot of people on Twitter that I follow anyways, uh, Patrick Mahomes missed a wide, 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 oh, but I think it was Pringle in the Byron Pringle. Is he number 13? Yes, he is. On an out route at like the five-yard line or three-yard line. Completely whiffed it. Like, terrible throw. And the announcers are, you know, already on their knees, ready to, you know, defend Patrick Mahomes. Oh, he didn't have a great grip on it. Oh, he didn't have a great grip. You know how many times Patrick Mahomes has probably thrown without the laces? You know how many quarterbacks have thrown without the laces before? He just it was a missed throw. But we can't say that about Patrick Mahomes. No, 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 no. Not a missed throw. But you know what they did on Fox today during the Bills game? At halftime, they showed all of Josh's incompletions. But we're not going to do that with Patrick Mahomes. No, 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 no. Who cares if he went 31 for 47 with a terrible incompletion? Could have had four touchdowns in the game. Set up with three and one interception. Who cares? Man. It's really fun. Really fun to just listen to how the media compares Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen to any other quarterback because we still somehow... It's hard to break these pre-draft analysis things, isn't it? He's inaccurate. No, he's not. You ever watch the game? Did you pay attention to anything that happened in the game? Yeah, Josh missed a few passes today. But Patrick Mahomes missed passes. Like, it's a little different to getting calls on the field. Like, when you get calls on the field, I understand where some are like, okay, he's got time in the league. Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen are one year apart. And this isn't about calls. This is just about respect <laughs> on the media side of things. Really? We can't bash Mahomes for one missed pass? We have to come up with some stupid excuse about how his receivers keep dropping the passes or his O-line stinks. And remember, the Chiefs O-line is now actually very, very good. There's complete lies about that. You can watch the Chiefs offensive line now. Probably got a top 10 unit in the league. And then their whole right side's all rookies. Rookies are players who have never played before. It's all new. <laughs> oh my goodness. I would love... Love to see Patrick Mahomes stand behind the Bills off the line for a little bit. And he had Mitch. I don't I don't know if he had Mitch Morse. Now I take that back. I don't think he I don't know if he played with Mitch Morse or not. If he did, it was for a tiny bit. I would love it. 
Patrick Mahomes would get eaten alive behind Cody Ford at guard. Ike Butker at guard. Easily. <laughs> Josh Allen, again, this is what we talked about earlier in the year, about Josh Allen and the Bills being like, Josh's been sacked like 20-something times this year, which isn't a lot comparatively. Like, Joe Burrow's been sacked 41 times. That's a testament to how good Josh Allen is escaping the pocket rather than the Bills off the line actually being good. If you listen to any national media outlet, they'll say how bad the Bills is, but then they'll also throw Josh Allen, Bills off the line is, while also in the same breath throwing Josh Allen under the bus. <laughs> like against the Buccaneers. What the hell is he supposed to do? I saw somebody comparing Matt Jones stats against the Bucs versus Josh Allen's just completely excluding the rushing yards. Josh Allen had 100 rushing yards against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We're just going to completely exclude that because it doesn't fit with my argument right now. Funny how that always works out. But yes, uh, the Colts, the Chiefs won on Thursday Night Football. Patrick Mahomes now 12-0 on the road against his division rivals. And uh, yeah, the Chargers probably should have won that game. Probably should have, but they did not, so it doesn't matter. Other games that have went on today, there's a few upsets. Or a few crazy games, I guess I should say. We're going to start off with one. The Lions versus the Cardinals. What the hell happened in this game? 30-12. This was supposed to be one of the best teams in the NFL when completely healthy. And they are pretty healthy at this point in time. And they got pounded by 18 points to the Detroit Lions? The Lions. The 1-11-1 Lions. The hell went on in this game. And the Lions, it's not like the Cardinals just played. The Lions played amazing in this game. (laughs) The Lions... Oh, God, I don't know. We said in the mock draft this week that the Lions, I think they're better than the Jaguars, but the wins are the only thing that matters here. And then I didn't think, though, that following that, they would beat the 10-3 and Cardinals, who were the first team to win 10 games this season. And prior to this past Monday, when they lost the, uh, the Los Angeles Rams, were the best team record-wise in the NFL. <laughs> and then they just lost to the Lions. The Lions. And then other games, we had the Dolphins beating up on the, or beating up, beating the Jets 31 to 24. Jets were winning that game for a vast majority of it. At least that's what it felt like. Duke Johnson, don't know where he's been all this time, but he was like the best third down back in the NFL for a while with Cleveland. And he just got elevated off the practice squad, had 107 yards rushing and two touchdowns. It's a weird game, really weird game. And then we had the Cowboys beating the Giants 21 to 6. And we're going to talk about not very weird games. And then we had the Steelers coming back against the Titans, winning 19-13. And finally, we had the Texans beating up on the Urban Meyerless Jaguars, 30-16. Absolute annihilation from the Houston Texans. Davis Mills had two touchdowns in the game. Both the Brandon Cooks who had 102 yards receiving on the day. Yeah, pretty fun stuff right there for the Houston Texans over the Jaguars. And so Urban Meyer, like we said, is gone. Pretty unsurprising at this point. And Urban Meyer was like, I'm oh, very remorseful about how everything happened. He, was just, he apologized to the Jaguars. Oh, he's so sorry. And then I got an update that the Jaguars don't even plan to play or plan to pay Urban Meyer's contract, which is awesome because, yeah, dude's a total dickbag. He does not deserve his contract. And you, this is why, this is exactly why you never, ever – now, it's not just the head coaching. I, mean, I think giving coach the head, head coaching jobs to the college coaches in the NFL is fine. But giving a coach a job 
that he's never experienced. He's never been in the NFL before. And not only do you give him the head coaching job, you give him the GM job as well. This dude who has never had a single minute in the NFL is now the GM of the Jacksonville Jaguars who just finished with one win. And there were people out there preseason. I don't remember if we talked about this on Friday show or not, but preseason, people were talking about this team could win eight games. Like we talked about in the preview show that we did back in August or September, like people actually thought this team would win eight games. We ended up winning four. I thought that was a lot. This team was one had one win last year. In hindsight, I actually thought about having them lose to the Texans week one. So in hindsight, I should have gone with them three wins and the Texans won. Now, both teams probably, well, the Texans can't. The Texans already have three wins on the season, but the Jaguars might even not even reach three wins on the season. Like, I don't know what people were expecting with this team. A guy that's never had a single second of NFL coaching experience is now going to lead a formerly one-win team to eight wins. And in an AFC South division that is not very good, that's maybe a division title. No, it's not, because the Texans were obviously going to win the division at the start of the year, obviously. But, hey, the Colts are coming up fast. This loss today made the the, the gap between the two teams fairly light. The Titans are 9-5, and five, Colts are 8-6. So we are reaching up on that. And I didn't mention this before, but the Colts win uh, sealed up the Eagles getting their first-round draft pick. Because it also meant that Carson Wentz started about 60% of their games. So that means they also win. I think it was winning record plus how many games Carson Wentz or either or or something. So their Eagles are got three first-round picks guaranteed at this point in time. Now, it is subject to change because they could trade it or something. But at this point in time... They have three first-round draft picks. Maybe they trade to the Texans for Deshaun Watson. Maybe that's what happens here. Because I don't know if you guys remember this, but he was getting somewhat linked to the Philadelphia Eagles last offseason because of how much ammunition they had going into the year. Like, they have a lot of draft picks, thanks to the Dolphins, themselves, and the Indianapolis Colts. Three. But back to Urban Meyer. Good freaking God. Daryl Bevel, we talked about this a little bit on Friday, has just got his job of... I'll be the assistant head coach. I'll take a head coaching job once the head coach I'm on gets fired, and then I'll be the interim head coach, and then not get the interim head coaching job. So again, I am sitting here saying that Byron Leftwich should be the uh, the new head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. And Urban Meyer, I'm just clicking on this link right now, he called them fragile, the coaches and the players on this team. It's, oh, good lord. That it's, <laughs> I love Jacksonville. It's one of the reasons I took the job. I still think Shad's a great owner. It's heartbreaking, he said. I had the dream of becoming a destination place with new facility. He agreed to build and someday walk into that stadium where it's standing room only. Because I know how bad people of Jacksonville want it. So I'm just heartbroken that we weren't able to do that. I still believe it's going to be done. It's too good of a place. He continued to say, I think everything is so fragile right now. The And that includes coaching staff. When I get into coaching, coaches weren't making this kind of money and they didn't have agents. Everything is so fragile than what it used to be. Team, team, team. I remember talking about this about it in a staff meeting three days ago. I got in this profession because I had the greatest high school coach and it was all about team and about the huddle. All about the huddle. Yeah, uh, 
That's not what Urban Meyer's legacy in Jacksonville will be. I don't think it was about team, team, team at all. I think it was pretty anti-team. Every single move was anti-team and anti-smart and not anything that was actually thought out. Everything was rushed in, it felt like anyways, and nothing made sense. This dude is a dickbag. <laughs> we talked about this before, where is it either he was like this entire career, or did he just get found out, or is this just something that happened right now? Like, I don't think being about team, team, team is you going, I'm the head coach, I could do whatever I want. That's pretty anti-team, if you ask me. That's really all about, this is a dictatorship, and not about, oh yeah, we're for the betterment of the team. You kicked a kicker at practice and said, hey, dipshit, make your effing field goals, and said, I'm the head coach, I'll kick whoever the F I want. That's not anything about team, you dickhead, okay? It's so funny how he has this revisionist history of this is how it was actually going down, and I hate all of this. I hate the media. I hate the coach. I hate the players. You called your coaches pussies. <laughs> you called them losers. You have won more national championships than all of them put together. You had a better coaching staff at Bowling Green. You benched a player for no reason, and then you're talking about team. You said Andre Sisco has starting to get more snaps. He didn't play a single snap the last game he coached. And he's talking about team. He doesn't even know what his own players are doing. He doesn't even know what players are going in or what players he's scratched, made healthy scratches or have been injured or whatever. Yeah, it ain't about team with Urban Meyer. It's about Urban Meyer. That's the only thing that matters. And his daughter went on social media afterwards and did the typical, oh, yeah, he was kind of an ass, but only God can judge him. Screw uh, Stop doing that. I hate when people try are complete assholes about certain situations and then go on social media and tweet a Bible verse like it's all forgiven or something. Like Jalen Ramsey, when he got in a fight with Golden Tate because he dumped Jalen Golden Tate's sister when he got her pregnant. Golden Tate's rightfully pissed. And then he goes on Twitter and posts a Bible verse about it. See, he's the bad guy. I'm the one tweeting the Bible verse. I'm the good guy. No, screw off. Jalen, screw off. Urban Meyer, don't care. Don't go out and tweet in Bible verses when you're talking about this. Like, nothing Urban Meyer has been done in the NFL has been biblical by any stretch of the imagination. Remember a few, I've seen this video a few times recently where the guy allegedly he took a bong rip on a, on, a, on a Zoom call that Urban was doing? Like, good lord. Nothing this dude did was good in the NFL. Nothing. So don't go... There's only one person that can judge him. Yeah, we can judge him too. Because he's being an ass. Good God. I hate when people do that on social media. I hate... That's one of my one of my pet peeves when it comes to social media. One of many. There's many pet peeves I have about social media, but that's one of them. The other one is people going on giant rants or bashing people on Twitter without them actually being their profile picture or them having some random ass name on their screen instead of actually having, you know, their name. So it's just a blank profile. And the other thing is, it's kind of the same thing, but at a personal level. Remember the Zach Wilson NFAF's unnamed NFL scout thing? Remember that? It's kind of the same thing there as well. You have character issues. I'm not going to tell you who I am. So I'm going to bash you behind your back and not reveal who I am because I have good character. <laughs> that was an awesome moment. That was a very, very awesome moment. But... Yeah, there's a lot of things that are going on around the NFL, and I'm not surprised Urban Meyer's the first head coach to be fired in the NFL. I don't know which one's going to be next. 
Like, if I had to, like, make a list of teams I thought they were going to fire their head coaches, the next one on the list, I mean, maybe not in any order. I'm just going to go throughout the NFL and teams I think that will fire their head coach. So we've got the Bills. I don't think they'll fire theirs. I don't think that's happening. Brian Flores, if you asked me when they were 1-7, I would say there's a pretty good shot, but the team's getting better and better as the season's gone on, so I think he keeps his job. Bill Belichick, is he on the hot seat? I'm going to say no. I'm going to go on a hot, uh, take a hot take and say no, he's not. Uh, Robert Sala won't lose his job either. John Harbaugh won't lose his job. Zach Taylor, before the season started, I thought he was on a very hot seat. He's not. They, they, he ain't on a hot seat. Kevin Stefanski ain't. Mike Tomlin ain't. David Coley, I would imagine he is, but I feel kind of bad for him. He shouldn't have gotten a head coaching job to begin with, but the Texas organization is such a giant mess to where no one else wanted the job. So I don't really know if you can really judge him <laughs> as a head coach this season, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's fired. Let's put it that way. Frank Reich ain't getting fired in Indy. Daryl Bevel ain't getting the job, so he's going to be gone. Uh, Mike Vrabel ain't losing his job either. Vic Fangio, before the season, much like Zach Taylor, thought he would lost his job, but they're somewhat competitive. The only thing they're missing really is a quarterback, so I think he'll probably keep his job. Andy Reid ain't losing his job. The Raiders will hire somebody. I refuse to believe Rick Passaccio is going to be the head coach of the Raiders moving forward. Their defense is atrocious at this point in time. Brandon Staley, as much as he goes for it on fourth down, he ain't losing his job. He's pretty locked in. Mike McCarthy, at this point, no. He's on track to win an NFC East title this year. Joe Judge, he could get fired. I wouldn't really be surprised if he got fired. But there's a lot of issues going on with the Giants. I, I don't think he will, but I wouldn't be surprised about it. Nick Sirianni. I'm up 50-50 on Nick Sirianni right now, getting fired or staying. Ron Rivera probably won't get fired. Matt Nagy should be fired from Chicago. That dude should have been gone last year. Somehow he kept his job. Like, they've gone every single way. And Ryan Pace should lose his job as well. You've gone every single route of trying to get a quarterback. Traded for one, drafted one, and signed one in free agency. You've done all three of those, and it hasn't worked. Because he can't coach. So that's fine. Uh, Dan Campbell ain't losing his job. At least I, I don't think he will. The players are too behind him to lose his job. LaFleur won't lose his job. Mike Zimmer should lose his job. That one should be easy. He'll, he should definitely lose his job. The foul, For how many good pieces the Vikings have, they should not be teetering around 500. That is something they should not be doing. Uh, Robert Smith, no, Arthur Smith, sorry. Arthur Smith ain't losing his job in Atlanta. Matt Rule probably won't lose his job in Carolina. There was a, That was a rebuilding process. Their defense was awful. Two years ago, they drafted only defensive players. I think they got a decent nucleus. They just need to figure out that quarterback position. The Saints, Sean Payton ain't getting fired. Is Speaking of Sean Payton, though, have you guys seen the new trailer for the Sean Payton movie when he was out of the league due to that whole Bounty Gate scandal? And Kevin James is playing him? Ridiculous. I, I, I'm seeing that movie. I don't care if it's bad or good. I'm seeing that movie. Bruce Arians ain't losing a job. Cliff Kingsbury, before the season, thought he could. Ain't anywhere close to losing that. Uh, Sean McVay ain't losing it. Kyle Shanahan, if I had to do a dark horse candidate to lose their job, probably him, but I don't think he will. Pete Carroll, I bet he'd step down before he got fired. I think he's done too much in Seattle to get fired. So teams I think should fire their coach, like the Bears, Vikings, the Raiders will hire a coach, Jaguars will hire a coach. That's about it. I don't really think there's a lot of terrible head coaches in the NFL right now. If you had to twist my arm a little bit about teams that could move on, like the Texans, I think they could move on. Uh, the Giants, I think, could move on, but that's pretty much it. So you got a, a max, probably six teams, maybe. And that's even with me twisting my arm on a few teams. Like, I I could see probably Matt Rule getting fired, maybe, but I, I kind of doubt it. 
I don't know. There's a lot of things that could happen right now, but I think like prime candidates for coaching jobs, we kind of talked about it on Friday. Leftwich will be one, offense coordinator for the Bucks. Kellen Moore from the Cowboys, he'll be a head coaching candidate for sure. Then we got Brian Dable from the Bills. We'll got Matt Eberflus from the Colts. He'll definitely be a, a head coaching candidate somewhere. Uh, anybody? I'm Eric Bieniemy. He'll definitely be a consideration. Jim Caldwell, I'm imagining, is going to be in a consideration for that. Is there anybody else that I'm just completely blanking on? If I am, I can, I'm really sorry about it. I just can't think of anybody else right now. Any college coaches that could move up to the NFL? I don't think so. But hey, I don't think anybody out there was saying Cliff Kingsbury would be a head coach in the NFL if he got fired from Texas Tech. So maybe there's someone in college that's not doing very hot right now that could be an NFL coach. I'm looking at you, Brian Ferentz. <laughs> maybe you could be an NFL coach someday. You're, you coached the NFL before. Maybe you do it now. Oh, man. But while we're on the topic of college football, we had a lot of college football games going on this weekend throughout bowl games. We had Middle Tennessee State beating up on Toledo 31-24. Coast Carolina beat Northern Illinois 47-41. UAB beat BYU 31-28. Louisiana killed Marshall 36-21. Western Kentucky, in probably the weirdest line of the week, Western Kentucky was a two-point underdog against Appalachian State. Why? That's sidetracked. Why has Appalachian State been favored in their past two games? They were favorites in the Conference USA Championship game against Louisiana, or no, yeah, no, in the Sun Belt Championship against Louisiana. Louisiana battered them by like 30 points the last time they played, and it was back in Louisiana. It wasn't at Appalachian State. It was at Louisiana. So why was Appalachian State the favorite? And they rightfully got beat. In this game, same thing. How was Appalachian State the favorite over Western Kentucky? I don't understand how they were possibly the favorite. Western Kentucky beat them 59-38. And Bailey Zappi, I mean, we're talking about Bailey Zappi a lot this season. Unsurprisingly to me anyways, he broke both the all-time passing record in the season and all-time passing record for touchdowns in the season. So he got the yards and passing touchdown numbers. So the new record for each is 5,967 yards. That record stood since 2003 with B.J. Simmons from Texas Tech, or B.J. Simons. It's spelled with a Y. I, I can't remember how it's pronounced. And then 62 touchdowns, which passes Joe Burrow, who passed 60 touchdowns when LSU won the national championship. Bailey Zappi, I think, will probably be a third-round draft pick, if I had to guess at this point in time. Now, we'll go over the mock draft because we didn't get to it on Friday. We'll talk about why once we actually get there. But Bailey Zappi, I think, will be a nice third-round draft pick. And if if the system's right, if they go cater to his skill set, he could be a very fun quarterback to watch the next level. And then we got Fresno State beating up on UTEP. We had Liberty killing Eastern Michigan. Malik Willis had five total touchdowns in his final game of college football. And Utah State beat Oregon State 24-13. Now, if we look at our Capital One Bowl Mania thing, on the show's one, we didn't do great because remember this was a speedrun thing, so we kind of just clicked randomly. But Toledo, I thought they would do better against Middle Tennessee. Didn't happen. Northern Illinois, we only picked that because Iowa Connection. I really didn't do a lot of thought process through that game. Probably should have because I would probably pick Coast Carolina in the end. But you know what? We move. Then West Kentucky, again, easy over Appy State. 18% picked that game. I really don't understand why. I don't know. Picked picked Western Kentucky in that one. Jackson State, they got upset, pretty big-time upset against South Carolina State in the Celebration Bowl, which for those of you who don't know, the champions of the, champions of the SWAC and the champions of the MEAC go and play in Atlanta for this FC. It's not really a champion. It's kind of like, I don't know, HBCU championship game, I guess. So South Carolina won that. They were 6-5 and five going into this game. Jackson State was 11-1. And, and South Carolina State beat them 31-10. to 10. 
We watched the first half and a little bit of the second half. So my sister graduated from UNI, so we didn't get to really watch the entire game, and I had to drive back home from Cedar Falls, so I didn't get to see the second half, at least a lot of the second half. But they beat up on Jackson State. Sedora Sanders did not play very well, and South Carolina State put together a very nice game plan on how to stop Jackson State and beat them 31-10. And we had Fresno State beating UTEP. BYU, like we said, we didn't get that game. And Liberty and Utah State and Louisiana, we got those ones. So the remainder bowl games that we have, the next one that we'll have is on Monday. We only have one game for the FBS level in bowl games. We have Tulsa taking on Old Dominion. We have Tulsa in that game. That game will kick off at 1.30 on Monday. So make sure you stay tuned for that at 1.30 on ESPN. Tulsa is a nine-point favorite. Then on Tuesday, we've got Kent State, Wyoming, and UTSA, San Diego State. The UTSA, San Diego State game could be a very fun game. UTSA 12-1, San Diego State 11-2. San Diego State's a one-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. Both teams very run-heavy teams. UTSA obviously has the better running back in Cecir McCormick, who's one of the best in college football. It rushed for 1,400 yards, but almost 1,500 yards in the game with 15 touchdowns on the season as well. That'll be a fun one. I'm excited for that one. And while we're on college football, like on the bowl game schedule thing, we have the FCS championship figured out now. Yes, we do. Uh, This is very, very exciting. And you would like to know, if you remembered me talking about this before the playoffs started, remember who I said who my dark horse was? The Montana schools. Montana and Montana State. And Montana State is in the FCS championship game. Yes, they have made it. And they have killed everybody who they have played so far. They beat up on UT Martin, 26-7. They beat up on the number one seed, Sam Houston State, 42-19, the reigning national champion, Sam Houston State, and beat South Dakota State, 31-17, to take on North Dakota State in the championship. This is awesome. So if you want to listen to a guy that knows a little bit about the FCS, listen to the Logan Blackman Show. Every Monday, Wednesday, uh, well, not every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Sometimes we're not very consistent with it, but most of the time, We're here on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday to give you all the expert knowledge you could be looking for. Let me take a sip of water real quick because I got this. Let me sip the tea real quick. I probably shouldn't have done that. I blew right into the microphone. (laughs) Probably should not have done that at all. But, hey, I'm not very surprised by this. Again, Montana State's defense has always been their main thing. Both Montana schools, for that matter, are the same thing. And Montana State had two losses on the year. The only reason they dropped to the eighth seed is because of the fact they lost Montana last week of the year. Montana, they almost made it to the, they made it to the semifinals, or they're at least on their side of the bracket anyways. They made it to the quarterfinals, I guess you would say. The semifinal, they lost to James Madison 28-6. But hey, we were this close. One game away from having both Montana schools in the FCS semifinals. Now, if I had to pick a winner, I would pick North Dakota State. But... So I could say that I said Montana State was my dark horse and get that right all the way. And one of my friends is, lives in Bozeman, Montana, which is where Montana State is. I might have to go Montana State. I might just have to do that. Because that, be, that would be really cool if I could say I got that all the way to the championship game. That Montana State would make it. Not only make it, they would win it. And there are probably going to be big underdogs in this game. The game doesn't take place till January 8th. So we got a little bit to go. Before the FCS championship game takes place. And I believe it's done in Frisco, Texas. Two completely different weathers than what these two teams are used to. Now I know North Coast State plays in the Fargo Dome. Montana State plays outside. And if you saw the pictures 
of Montana State versus South Dakota State with the mountains in the background. If you remember, I was in Montana back in like July or June or July. I don't remember exactly. And we drove right past that stadium. For reference, those mountains are not that close, which makes this picture even crazier that the mountains look like they're right next to the stadium. They ain't close at all. Like, we were, that is right now, we went to the historical museum right next to it. We were going to go see the dinosaurs and all that. They ain't close. But it's, that's what makes it really cool. Like, Bozeman, if you want to just go out there for scenery, now the housing market is ridiculous out there, so I'm not recommend you move out there looking for a house unless you've got, like, money money. But it's a really cool stadium for an FCS level, and you got really cool scenery around you. And it's a little bit away. Like, we went up to the mountains while we were up in Bozeman. You know, as you do, you got to go to the mountains if you're up in Montana. And Montana State, now we could say they're in the national championship game, which is pretty awesome. So we're going to have to tune for that. We're going to have to watch that game because I've got a, I got a Montana State shirt, actually. I picked it up when we were up in Bozeman. I don't know where it is, but I have one somewhere sitting around this house. So I'm going to have to find it and throw that sucker on. And cheer on my, my, my Montana State Bobcats. My, 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 my Montana State Bobcats. And yes, before we move on to the final thing, we have some quarterbacks to talk about in the transfer world. Casey Thompson, unsurprisingly, put his name in the transfer portal after Quinn Ewers just announced he was transferring from Ohio State to Texas. Now, we've got him in the transfer portal. And we have some signings. Uh, Max, Max Johnson, son of Brad Johnson, who was just at LSU, just transferred to Texas A&M. Which, again, I don't remember if we talked about this on Friday's show or if I talked about it on the Colon Company because I was on there on Friday about Max Johnson transferring to A&M. Uh, Miles Brennan, who was hurt before the season started, Miles Brennan was supposed to be the starter at LSU and got hurt prior to the season starting. And with him saying he was coming back to LSU, I think that was like, okay, I'm probably not going to start here next season. But Texas A&M is a weird place to transfer to because like we talked about with Quinn Ewers, they have some decent quarterbacks on this roster. So I don't know if Max Johnson really is going to guarantee to start next year. But, I mean, he just started LSU, but Zach Calzada's played pretty well this season for AM. Now, he's not played, like, amazing, but with Haynes King being out since the Colorado game, he's played pretty well. I mean, he beat Alabama. So, like, you can't really fault Haynes or Zach Calzada for how he's played this year. But, man... Yeah, we have Max Johnson transferring there again. We have all the other quarterbacks transferring around college football. Keaton Slovis is still not announced where he is going. Emory Jones has not announced he's committed to Iowa yet, which is pretty surprising at this point in time. I saw a thing where Bo Nix is projected to go to Ole Miss. So staying in the SEC, but going and playing for Lane Kiffin? Be very interesting. I'd be kind of for that. I have, I have really no beef with Bo Nix. I just think he's a little overrated. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if someone like JT Daniels transferred again, but who knows? There, I, apparently, there's some weird things going on with Kirby Smart and JT Daniels, but I don't really know. But we've talked about how overrated JT Daniels is for the past two years, so we'll have to see where that one goes to. Uh, do I have any other quarterbacks that have committed anywhere that I could think of off the top of my head? I don't think so. I saw something that said, watch out for Adrian Martinez going to Kansas State because Skylar Thompson's finally done there. So maybe Adrian Martinez goes down there, plays for Chris Wildman, Chris Kleiman down there, future Iowa Hawkeyes coach. Maybe. Time will tell on that. But let's move on to the final thing. That is the 2022 pre-bowl season mantra. Now, I will have you know, though we have talked about this in six bowl games or however many, how many bowl games have played? Nine bowl games, a little more than six. Bowl games have taken place so far. 
we had talked about this on Friday's show. The problem was, after the show was over, I started overthinking things and started going, well, we need to change this, we need to change this, we need to change this, we need to change all of this. And never released a mock draft that was actually what I said on the show. Now, it was generally the same thing, but there was a few things that I changed around that would have not made sense if you had listened to the show. So I talked for about two hours on Friday, and I put out a 42 or something minute show because I had to cut out the entire mock draft because I changed it so much. Now, we still put out the mock draft on Friday, so you can go look at that LoganBlackmanShow.com. It's still on there. Go to the blog section or just scroll down to the main page. There's a link there as well. But I had to cut out that part. It hurt to do that. I hate doing that. I've done that a few times where I've talked about something and that something's changed. But that's a little bit one of my problems about I'll start overthinking things to the point of I don't want to do this at all. I didn't go to bed on Thursday night until about 1 o'clock. And I had to wake up for work at 6. So I was not feeling the best on Friday. And then going into the Saturday after my sister graduated, or sleeping on Friday going into Saturday, oh man, I was running on fumes. Fumes. Terrible. (laughs) I didn't get any sleep going Friday to Saturday night either. So I was running on two days with pretty much no sleep. It was miserable. I got a decent amount of sleep on Saturday to Sunday, so that was pretty good, but it sucks. I don't know how many of you out there are insane overthinkers. I get that from my mom's side of the family, I believe. Like, it's bad. Like, I was like, oh, why am I going to bed right now? I gotta do this, I gotta do this, I gotta do this. Thankfully, though, since it was already pretty much all done, I just needed to switch some text around. Like, I, it, the reasoning kind of stays the same for the player stuff, so you just need to copy and paste that from one player to the next player. Like, if I moved somebody from one spot to the other spot, I just go, well, the scouting report of the player stays the same, but I just have to change some of the reasoning around for why he should go to that team versus the other team that we had it on. So, yeah, it's... I like this one a lot more. At least I would hope so, because if you wake up at 12 o'clock at night and go, oh, I need to change this now after you just recorded a two-hour show, and not only do you need to edit the mock draft, but you have to delete an hour-long part of the show or over an hour-long part of the show, take it out. It kind of sucks. It kind of sucks ass. I don't recommend doing it. I would just say, go with the flow at times. But no, I could not for some odd reason. But we're going to go over it quickly. We're not, I'm not planning on sticking a whole hour dedication to this pick or this mock draft because, again, it's already been out for two days. Or At the time this show comes out, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you'll be, you've seen it three days already, at least I would hope so. If not, go to any of my social media accounts. You can find it. Or, again, just go to theloganblackmanshow.com and you can find it there. So, yeah, mock draft pre-bowl season. So, technically, it was out before the bowl started. But the time we're talking about it is after the bowl starts. So, the first pick, the Lions, who do not have the number one pick anymore. And we said this in the description. So, if I did this, like, if I waited a couple days to talk about this, or to release it, I would have to change the draft. Because this ain't happening anymore. And we said this. I, I said that in the Jaguars pick. I can make a very strong argument that the Jaguars are worse than the Lions. But the problem is the Lions have more less wins. So they aren't going to be worse because in the draft, it doesn't matter who's actually worse. It matters on what your record is. And now the records are worse. The Jaguars now have the number one overall pick. The Lions have the second. Texas still have the third one. But at this point in time, Aiden Hutchinson's going to Detroit. I even think with the Jaguars picking first, that Aiden Hutchinson will probably go to Detroit. Because I think the Jaguars have a little more needs than just edge rusher. Okay? I know they're transcendent talents, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson. 
But Hutchinson's going one. I think you have a few games in this year, mainly the Ohio State game, where you look at and go, that was a dominant performance. Second in the Heisman Trophy race, even though statistically he wasn't as good as Will Anderson. Will Anderson's not available until next year's draft. And he'll be a top five pick next year for sure. We're not really going to have any conversations about Will Anderson. But the Lions need help on defense. Their defense is awful. And for the Jaguars, their defense isn't great. But Ed Rusher is not one of their weak points. Off the line, you're losing Cam Robinson or possibly will lose Cam Robinson this offseason. Evan Neal is just a freak. At six foot six, what is he? Six six or six seven, my bad. Six seven, three hundred and fifty pounds. This dude could play every single line position. And the Jaguars, who have a young quarterback, have two young running backs, and Travis Etienne, who will be coming back next year, and James Robinson. You want to make holes for them and make keep their lives easier. Don't want to make things harder by not giving them off the line. So Trevor Lawrence will want Evan Neal. Even though Kayvon Thibodeau would be ranked higher than Evan Neal, they should take Evan Neal. I don't, even if they have the number one overall pick. That might be seen as a reach if they hold the number one overall pick by the time the draft actually comes around. But Evan Neal is the pick they probably need to make. Because their whole line stinks. Their whole line's awful. Number three, the Texans, Kayvon Thibodeau. I think they could do something with Davis Mills. I, we've kind of talked about this before. About Davis Mills has about, well, I don't know how many games exactly he has. He had like less than 20 games post high school in college and the NFL. Like he is a very, very raw quarterback, but he's got a very good skill set that can make him a good quarterback at this level. I think the Texans might want to build something there. And you could even get another pick by trading Deshaun Watson. Like we talked about, the Eagles have three first round picks. Get a couple of those picks from the Philadelphia Eagles this offseason or get more picks from them in the future or something. Maybe that's a thing they look at. The Panthers were linked with him a lot. The Dolphins, I don't think they will, but they've been linked with them before. You can draft a quarterback if you get that pick, but if Thibodeau's available, none of these quarterbacks are worth taking third overall. At this point in time, things could change throughout the offseason, but none of these quarterbacks really deserve to be taken third overall. Thibodeau is in the conversation of best player in the draft in general. You don't want to pass on the best overall player in the draft to draft a quarterback that's not even worth maybe getting picked in the top 10, let alone top three. So Thibodeau, his athletic ability is insane. And you're missing the likes of J.J. Watt. Don't have Davian Clowney there anymore. Defense is a struggle. Get it better by taking Thibodeau. Fourth, the Jets taking Derek Stingley from LSU. Until the Bills game, no player in the secondary had an interception this year. The first interception of the season came from Shaq Lawson on the D-line against the Bengals, which was halfway through the season. Their secondary is bad, especially with Robert Sala as the head coach, and it's even more so with Robert Sala being a defensive-minded head coach. He wants his own defensive players, but you drafted four offensive players with your first four picks last year. You had Zach Wilson, Elijah Vera Tucker, Elijah Moore, and Michael Carter with your first four picks. Robert Sala, being a former defensive coordinator, is going to want defensive players especially restructuring their secondary and getting a guy like Derek Stingley would be on the right way to do that. Now, I could see Derek Stingley going a little bit later than fourth because of the fact he hasn't really played football in these past two years due to injuries off the or on the field for LSU, but this dude's an elite prospect. If he pans out, he could be their version of this generation's version of Darrell Revis because the Jets balled out with getting Darrell Revis from Pittsburgh a few years, about a decade ago. Get Derek Stingley fourth. Or seventh. Get him wherever you can because he could help reshape your secondary. Uh, number five, another player that could possibly reshape your defense is Kyle Hamilton. I have the Giants taking him from Notre Dame. Yes, he's a safety, and safeties don't generally get picked up this high, but Kyle Hamilton's so much more than a safety. Kyle Hamilton 
is the best free safety in the college football in college football, best center fielder. He can also rush the passer. He can also make plays in the run game. He can also run across the field and make plays as a corner. Whatever you need him to do, he'll do it. His range is ridiculous. Just go watch his game against Florida State week one, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. He's coming off an injury, so that might hurt him a little bit, but at 6'4", 220 pounds, with how well he can move and how many positions he can play, I don't care that he's a safety. This dude could do literally everything for the Giants defense, who has holes at safety, edge rusher, and linebacker. Coincidentally, Kyle Hamilton can play all of those positions and then some more on top of that. He even makes plays on special teams. And with, Kyle, with Joe Judge, if he keeps his job, being a former special teams coordinator, I think he'd love a guy like Kyle Hamilton on his defense. And the Giants have two picks back-to-back. They have the sixth overall pick as well. And with their O-line being a complete and utter mess, they need to take an offensive lineman here. And I have them taking Ikem Okonwu from NC State. So Okonwu, Okonwu is a guard-tackle hybrid. He's been playing a lot of left tackle at NC State, but a lot of people projected to play guard mainly because of the fact that he's six foot four and has tiny arms. That's what everybody says. But every single tackle that has tiny arms and is underneath 6'5 is going to be a guard in the NFL. He says what everybody tells you is going to happen. And the Giants, I don't really think it matters if they play him at guard or tackle because tackle sucks. Andrew Thomas was a bust at four. When you look back at the draft and see the Giants took Andrew Thomas over Jedrick Wills, Mekhi Becton, and Tristan Wirfs, it looks even worse. Andrew Thomas has been bad his entire time in the NFL. Even at the time of the draft, he was seen easily as the fourth best tackle out of those four. Tristan Wirfs was traditionally seen as the best one, but the problem was he was a right tackle. That was somewhat of the issue there. But even Jedrick Wills was a right tackle, but he was a protected blind side because he played at Alabama with Tua, who's left-handed. So transitioning to the left side was like, oh, he's just doing blindside stuff again. Like, I thought they were going to take Wirfs. I had Wirfs going to the Giants in my last mock draft from back then. Somehow, they took Andrew Thomas. Now, Andrew Thomas is very athletic, so he could probably move inside the guard, but if he doesn't, you keep you can put a Kwanwu in there. Like, he could play guard, tackle, maybe even center. I doubt it, but he could probably play center as well. And the Giants, who it's going from left to right, <laughs> Andrew Thomas is not very good. That's been established more than once since this show, since we've been talking about the Giants pick, and then going to left guard, like Matt Skura is not very good. Billy Price, former first rounder, not very good, but Nick Gates, their starting center, he got hurt earlier this season, so he'll be back next year. Then you got Will Hernandez, who is a very physically imposing guard, just not very good, and then Nate Solder's 33, I think going on 34, and is a free agent. So, they need to upgrade the O-line, and Akanu, who is a great pass blocker, but also a great run blocker. And for their best player, being Saquon Barkley, I'm sure they're going to want to have a lineman that could help block in the run game. So I think Okwambu would be the guy to pick there. Number seven, the Jets. Again, two picks in the top ten. Uh, Tyler Lindebaum from Iowa. Now, centers never get drafted this year. And I'm, I'm not saying like, oh, it doesn't happen often. No, it never happens. It's happened one time in the entire history of the NFL. It was Bruce Matthews getting taken by the Oilers back in 83, ninth overall. The thing is, though, when you compare the two players, Bruce Matthews played tackle, guard, and center. So you could even make the argument that no center has ever been made a top 10 pick in NFL history because how many other positions Bruce Matthews played? Hold on, let me take another drink real quick. I blew in the mic again. I I literally said I shouldn't do that earlier. But the Jets, their O-line 
is not great. It's not terrible. Like, when you have everybody healthy, the Jets O-line is not that bad. Like, Mike Mikai Betton dislocated his kneecap, so he's been out for a while now. Uh, Elijah Vera Tucker's been a very good pick. For then, they got him, what pick was it? 14th overall in the 2021 NFL Draft. And you got George Fane, who's played pretty decently at right tackle. Then you got Connor McGovern at center. You're losing uh, Connor McDermott, your left guard this year. And I think with drafting Lindebaum, you're not drafting him to displace Connor McGovern. You draft him and move McGovern over to guard. And with Robert Sala being the former defensive coordinator of the 49ers, he's going to want to establish a run game. And with how many running backs they have, namely Michael Carter, they're going to want to run the ball. Robert, uh, Tyler Lindebaum is the best run blocker in this entire draft. His speed around the edges, cutting around and blocking the edge rushers, pulling guard, pulling center, whatever you want to call it, is very good. And also, in the pass blocking, he ain't too shabby either. He's given up like four sacks in three years at starting at Iowa at center. Like, Tyler Lindebaum is the best center prospect probably ever. And that's not speaking like it's insane. That is actually probably true. That Tyler Lindebaum is that insane of a prospect. Centers usually get drafted. They get drafted high. Like Ryan Kelly for the Colts, I think it was the 18th overall pick. Garrett Bradbury for the Vikings, who <laughs> in hindsight probably wouldn't have taken him at the 18th overall pick. Lindebaum's better than both of them. And though it might not be the most logical thing to go, oh, center, top 10, that never happens. Centers aren't usually seen as a luxury pick when you look at the NFL draft. But the Jets' interior line is their weak point. And with Elijah Bear Tucker at guard, Connor McGovern with his ability to play guard, Linderbaum at center, that instantly secures your interior line. You draft Derek Stingley and Tyler Linderbaum in the top 10, that's an A-plus draft. A-plus. A-A-A+. Number eight, the Panthers taking Kenny Pickett. He's the first quarterback on the board. To me, he's the best quarterback in the draft. Now, it's not like there's a Grand Canyon-sized gap between him and Matt Corral. I just think Kenny Pickett's the better quarterback. He doubled his touchdowns this year compared to Matt Corral, set every single ACC packing record, or at least pit passing record, broke all of Dan Marino's records. And the thing that links Kenny Pickett here the most is the fact Matt Rule's still the coach, because Matt Rule commit got him to Temple. But Matt Rule took the job at Pitt, or at Baylor, so Kenny Pickett left for Pitt. That connection, though Kenny Pickett never played for Matt Rule, Matt Rule knows him. Matt Rule recruited him. This is a similar situation in some capacity of Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray. Now Matt Rule never sat there and said if Kenny Pickett was the number one overall, if he had the number one overall pick, he'd take Kenny Pickett. He has not said that. But Matt Rule has done this thing in Carolina where he likes players he's familiar with. Three people that come to my head initially are P.J. Walker, played for Met Temple, then we got Robbie Anderson, another player that played with him at Temple, and Hassan Reddick, who he played for at Temple. Kenny Pickett might not have played for him at Temple, but I think it's pretty much, this is going to be the link throughout the entire offseason. Carolina Panthers taking Kenny Pickett. Yes, their O-line's not very good, but they also are struggling at quarterback. If you hear how much Matt Rule has been bashing the quarterback play for the Panthers, Kenny Pickett makes the most sense. And the other issue is with them not possibly trading for a quarterback, they accepted Sam Darnold's fifth-year option before they traded for him. So they are screwed with that money. So if they trade for a quarterback, who's going to take Sam Darnold's contract? Nobody. So the Panthers are kind of stuck with Sam Darnold. So trading for a quarterback like Deshaun Watson or Russell Wilson with that kind of money they already are on doesn't seem to be the smartest move financially. So get a rookie in there. You don't need to pay him right away. And have Sam Darnold there, and you can eventually give Kenny Pickett the starting job. 
and not have to worry about two massive contracts on your books at the quarterback position. That's just what I'm thinking here. That's what I'm thinking right now. Uh, number nine, David Ojabo going to the Falcons. Falcons pass rush stinks. Their defense has stunk pretty much the entire 21st century, it feels like. And the Falcons have 16 passes, sacks this year. Dante Fowler is going to be a free agent. He has four and a half sacks. He hasn't been that great since he's come to the NFL. Ojabo is Aiden Hutchinson's pass rush partner, for those of you who are unaware. He's only played football for five years. So this might be seen as somewhat a reach at this point in time. But I think as we get closer to the draft, this will seem more and more like a reality because of David Ajabo's athletic ceiling, combined with the fact that you can build this guy. And I'm sure his workouts are going to be insane as well. He would definitely improve the Falcons' 16 sacks this season. Falcons need help in the pass rush. That's guaranteed. And they could use some speed off the edge. Falcons are a 3-4 base defense. Ojabo is about 6 what 6 four. Uh, I don't have the the height on here, I guess, but he's 355 pounds or around that. With his speed, he could be perfect for the Falcons' 3-4 defense. I think he'd be awesome there. Number 10, the Eagles, this is their first, their three first-round picks here. Uh, <coughs> George Kalarftis from Purdue. The Eagles run a 4-3 defense, which will work right for Kalarftis, who can play both interior or exterior on the defense line. Now, he's about 275 pounds. He only has four and a half sacks this season, but how, man, the amount of times he gets double teamed at Purdue is pretty ridiculous because on defense, Purdue does not have another player on the pass rush anyways that goes, we need to help stop this guy. No, they don't. So, Kalarftis gets all the attention. With the Eagles losing, Brandon Graham, who's also 34, starting 34 in April, and Derek Barnett, who has not been that great since getting drafted, I think, 14th overall by the Eagles a few years ago to Tennessee. They need some help on the edge. And with those two possibly leaving, or at least one of them, they need a guy in there. And with the Eagles' physicality on the line they like, Klarftis could be the guy that could replace both of them. I think he'd be a great fit for the Eagles on defense. And sticking on defense, the Eagles are up again, taking Devin Lloyd from Utah. Devin Lloyd is six foot three, about 225 pounds. 235 pounds, my bad. He can literally do anything you ask from the linebacker position. I'm not saying he is Micah Parsons, but he can do similar things to Micah Parsons. If you want him to play in the secondary or backup in pass coverage, he can do that. Make plays in the run game. Make plays in the pass game in regards to getting after the quarterback. Dude has eight and a half sacks this year, or seven sacks this year, which is the same as Kayvon Thibodeau. Like, this dude made a hundred and something sacks this year. 107 sack, ta- geez, sacks, tackles this year. Devin Lloyd does everything for Utah. And every single time you flipped on a Utah game, you saw Devin Lloyd making some sort of play. Athletically, I think he's the best linebacker in this draft. I'm not saying he's miles above Nicobe Dean from Georgia, but I think his athletic ceiling is higher based on how big he is and how many plays he can make. Now, I think Nicobe Dean was a, a better leader and possibly better in pass coverage than Devin Lloyd or Devin yeah, Devin Lloyd. But I would take Lloyd if I was looking at a linebacker prospect. And the Eagles, this is pretty historic because the Eagles have taken one linebacker in the first round of the draft since 1979, or 1980, they've taken one linebacker, which is Marcus Smith. The last linebacker they took in the first round before that was in 1979, they took Jerry Robinson from UCLA. They are going to take a linebacker here. Linebacker is one of their weaker points on defense. You come back from this draft with Clarftis and Devin Lloyd with your first two first-round picks, I think you could see that as an absolute win for the Eagles. Number 12, Ahmad Sauce Gardner. The, the Vikings... They are losing, or possibly, well, they already cut Brashad Breland. He was a free agent by the time this came out, and they cut him yesterday, which is not very surprising. Dude sucked. So then you've got Patrick Peterson's a free agent. Mackenzie Alexander's a free agent. 
And Cam Dantzler has not been very good. You cut Jeff Gladney for for perfectly well-documented reasons why you cut him last year. So get another corner. Gardner's six foot three, two hundred pounds. He never gets beat deep. He never gets out muscled or out jumped. Take Gardner, especially in a division with some good quarterbacks and good wide receivers. I would look at Ahmad Gardner to replace some of those corners. And they need help outside. They need help on defense. Get Ahmad Gardner. Number thirteen, the New Orleans Saints. They could use a quarterback here, but the fact is they've drafted one quarterback in the first round their entire existence, and that was Archie Manning in nineteen seventy one. They drafted him second overall. They don't take quarterbacks in the first round. They've been linked with a quarterback in the first round, it feels like, for the past decade. Like, three that I could think of at the top of my head. Lamar Jackson, Jordan Love, and Paxton Lynch were all quarterbacks they have been linked with in the draft. They don't do it. Now, I think they would rather trade for somebody like a Russell Wilson or something like that than go out and sign or draft a quarterback. They could bring back Jameis Winston, but I don't know if that's possible or if they actually do that. They have a weird affiliation with Taysom Hill that's been well-documented. But they have no weapons outside. They have zero weapons. They none. Michael Thomas has been caught in his feelings, got back surgery this offseason, or during during the season, right before the season started. He had a Scottie Pippen moment where he's like, I'm going to enjoy my summer and get surgery now, or whatever surgery he had. I don't remember if it was back surgery or not. But outside of Kamara, who else do they have? Who else? Like, Jamison Williams, I think, with his speed, his deep threat ability, Plus, his willingness to get dirty by playing special teams while also run blocking. Dude is a perfect... I would take Jamison Williams if I'm looking for a wide receiver. At six foot two, 189 pounds, averaging 21 yards, basically 22 yards per reception. 15 touchdowns. I'm taking Jamison Williams if I'm a team that needs a wide receiver. And if, he's, if the Saints don't take him, I can almost guarantee that the Las Vegas Raiders are taking him with the very next pick. Because speed kills, as Al Davis once said. But you know what? He's off the board. So you're going to have to take DeMarvin Leal, which is not anything that should be ashamed about. The Raiders' rush defense stinks. Their defense in general, like we already talked about, and Rich Passaccio has not been very good. And you have your two best players on defense, and Yannick Ngakwe and Max Crosby, who are like second and third in the league in pressures this year. But their interior D-line, not only is it not very good, but you could lose Quentin Jefferson, Jonathan Hankins, and Jonathan Th- Solomon Thomas in free agency this offseason. DeMarvin Leal has fluctuated between guard, tackle, linebacker, wherever you want to play him, you'll usually play. But at 6'5", 290 pounds, I think his best fit is inside. And with the Raiders on defense, they could use some versatility inside. DeMarvin Leal, I think, should be the guy they use or draft if Jamison Williams is already off the board here at 14. Number 15, the Steelers, taking Matt Corral, quarterback from Ole Miss. Steelers need quarterback. <laughs> I mean, Ben Roethlisberger has already said he's not coming back. So get a quarterback. Simple as that. Matt Corral is probably the toughest quarterback in this draft class. He's probably the best leader in this draft class as well. He could fit in perfectly with Pittsburgh. I think he'd be awesome fit in there. He's got a nice arm, really mobile. I would take Matt Corral in a heartbeat. Matt Corral and Kenny Pickett, like we already said, are not like miles apart. Like if you told me you had Matt Corral number one, don't remember. I I could see that. <laughs> I totally understand where you're coming from. Totally see it. Kenny Pickett's a little bigger has a little stronger arm, and I think Kenny Pickett's got that Joe Burrow-esque confidence that makes him very fun to watch. Matt Corral is a tough SOB and a really good leader and very mobile. So I could, you could make arguments for both of them. I think Matt Corral would be awesome in Pittsburgh. I don't think they'll trade. They might trade for a quarterback, but I, I don't know if they will. I don't think they will. Offensive line stinks, though. So maybe they go out and try and sign off its lineman, or 
They draft a lineman and sign a quarterback. Maybe that's what they do. Because Aaron Rodgers has been linked there, but I think they'll go after a quarterback in the draft. Uh, 16, Denver, taking Malik Willis from Liberty. They had, uh, George Payton, the GM, and five scouts went down to this Ole Miss Liberty game. Five plus the GM went to this. They're taking a quarterback. With how much they've looked at quarterbacks in the draft and in the trades offseason, they're taking a quarterback. They are definitely taking one. <laughs> I, I refuse to believe the Broncos are not taking a quarterback in the draft. Hold on, let me take a drink of water again. Like, this team almost is nailed on. I'm not going to say it's 100%. I bet 90% sure the Broncos will take a quarterback. And Malik Willis, with his skill set, I think would be awesome. With the amount of weapons the Broncos have, Corlin Sutton, Tim Patrick, Jerry, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler, Noah Fant, and the running backs, Javante Williams, and Melvin Gordon, with a decent offensive line plus a really solid defense, the Broncos are really just a quarterback away. I'm not saying they'll go out and win a Super Bowl the very next year they add Malik Willis, but it'd solve a whole hell of a lot of problems they've been facing. Like Teddy Bridgewater, nice guy. But I, I'm looking at a quarterback in the draft, and Malik Willis, after balling out in the bowl game, even though he had, he had some off games this year for Liberty, but I think it's all come down to him trying to do too much. If he can stop trying to play hero ball, he could be the best quarterback in this draft class. It's like very fine margins here. I don't think there's anybody in the draft class that can do what he does. And I would love to see him as a neutral, because I don't like the Broncos, but as a neutral, I would like to see him play in Denver. I think that'd be very cool to see. Number 17, uh, the Bengals taking Charles Cross from Mississippi State. I think athletically, he might be the best tackle in the draft. Pass blocking, he might be the best pass blocker in the draft. He has had 719 pass blocking snaps this year and allowed only 16 pressures. That is ridiculous numbers. The problem is, they don't run. Mississippi State never runs the ball. They are dead last in college football and rushing the ball. 63.9 yards a game. Charles Cross, I think, kind of falls in that similar realm as Andre Dillard when he got drafted out of Washington State. So I remember everybody saying Andre Dillard was the best tackle in the draft. Everybody. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't run blind. And the thing is, they both are coming from Mike Leach systems. Uh, Andre Dillard played at Washington State under Mike Leach. Charles Cross played for Mike Leach at Mississippi State. And it's nothing wrong that they're doing. It's just what the offense they run. Now, Charles Cross, athletically, could be the best. Could very well be the best, like we just said. But I think that teams are going to look at and go, he doesn't run block. He never has been asked to do that. And the the Bengals, who like to run the ball with Joe Mixon, but he, Joe Mixon can work with any off line, it seems like. Joe Mixon will just get yards. But with them, Joe Burrow's been sacked 41 times this season. They're going to get an off alignment in this draft. Now, I think corner's a possibility here because the secondary is not very good either, but you need to keep Joe Burrow upright. You passed on the lineman this year, which I said was nice at the time it happened, and I still feel vindicated in that, but you got to go up and get an off lineman in this draft. And if Charles Cross is available, you got to take Charles Cross here. Got to. Yeah, Athletically, I think he can figure out the run blocking, but the Bengals need a pass blocker first. 18, the Browns, I have them taking Traylon Burks from Arkansas. I think Burks is probably, well, no, I don't think. Burks is my favorite wide receiver in the draft. I love watching Traylon Burks play because he's 6'3", 225 pounds, and can do literally anything out wide. He can make all kinds of contested catches. He can run past defenders. He can even block in the run game. Hell, he can even run in the run game as well. This dude is all Arkansas's offense. And the thing is why I like him in Cleveland is because of the thing I just said. Duke can run block. The Browns run the ball almost more than anybody in the entire NFL, apart from, like, the Ravens, probably. 
Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, those are the best one-two tandem in the NFL. If you get a guy like Traylon Burks who can not only catch the ball outside, make contested catches, and the Browns, according to ESPN, have completed 59% of their passes to wide receivers. That's 28th in the NFL. With Burks' pass-catching ability, his ability to outmuscle defenders, his ability athletically to out-jump and outrun defenders, mixed with his run-blocking ability, I think it's perfect for what Cleveland does on offense, and I would love to see him play there. 19, Washington, I'm giving them Desmond Ritter. Desmond Ritter is a fun quarterback to watch. 6'4", 215 pounds athletically, he's got everything you're looking for in a quarterback. He's got the arm talent, the athletic ability, everything. He just needed to have a consistent year. Because his entire college career, passing the ball, has been very up and down. Like, 66% completion percentage down to 55, up to 50, well, no, 62, up to 55, down, up to 64, and then now we settled at 62. So we needed that consistency throughout his college career. Because passing-wise, he could be up and down, which is what we needed to see. <laughs> I compared him preseason to Trey Lance because of exactly that. We knew exactly what he could do running the ball, but he's going to be somewhat of a work in progress passing it, but he set every single record that he had prior to this. Like he threw for 30 touchdowns, passed over 3,000 yards. He never passed for over 2,500 yards before, and he never had more than 20 touchdowns. It's like, this was his year, and not only that, Cincinnati won their conference and made it to the college football playoff, the first non-Power 5 school to make it. Ritter had himself an amazing year. Cincinnati had themselves an amazing year, and Ritter's the main reason for that. And Ron Rivera, who had his best success with a quarterback named Cam Newton, I'm not saying that Desmond Ritter would become him because he's not as big. I mean, height-wise, he's almost as tall as him, but he doesn't weigh as much. That would be awesome to see. Taylor Heineke, I love him. It's a lot of fun to watch. It's clear his teammates love playing with him, but I don't. he's not the franchise guy for the Washington football team. At number 20, the Bills, Kenyon Green, guard-tackle hybrid from Texas A&M. This dude is what the Bills need. For a pass-blocking guard that can also mix his hands in the run, that's what he is. Like, his entire time at Texas A&M has been rotating around the offensive line, perfecting each position. This season, though, he's lost snap at four different positions. 241 snaps at left guard, 142 at right tackle, 106 at right guard, and 81 at left tackle. The problem positions of the Bills for the offensive line is all over the line. And this dude's played every position on the O-line apart from center, which Mitch Morris was the only one probably guaranteed to keep a spot next year. Only one, I would say. And that's not saying he's been playing out of his mind or anything. The Bills have him on a lot of money, so he probably wasn't going to lose his job. Green's 6'4", 325 pounds. If you're looking for Maulers, he's similar to Ikem Ikwanwu from NC State, where this dude will just beat the crap out of everybody in front of him. And when he's blocked for Isaiah Spiller before, so he's blocked for very, very good running backs. And for the Bills, who I like Devin Singletary. We've said we like Devin Singletary. I just don't think he's the guy you want as your quote-unquote bell cow running back for the NFL. I would say, though, Kenyon Green could make his job a whole hell of a lot easier than what it is right now because he would open up a ton of running lanes for the Bills and also keep Josh Allen upright, which is the thing that you need more than anything. I would love to see Kenyon Green come to the Buffalo Bills at 20. I think he should be available for them to pick. 21, the Eagles. I've been taking Drake London. Uh, the Jalen Rager, J.J. Arthega, Whiteside thing. Yeah, looking back in hindsight, you passed, you took those two to pass on Jalen Ray or uh, Just Jefferson and McK- M.K. Jeez, D.K. Metcalf. Uh, hindsight, you'd probably take the other two that you passed on. You'd definitely take Just Jefferson. You probably take D.K. Metcalf as well. Arthega Whiteside. I I guess you could argue is a good run blocker, but that's not the main reason why you draft wide receivers. He can't catch the ball. Jalen Rager can't catch the ball. 
You look at QBRs from what Jalen Hurts throws to him versus everybody else, on a 100-point scale, Jalen Hurts to Jalen Rager is a 5.8. To every other receiver, it's 65.6. Jake London is coming off an ankle injury, so that could be causing him to slip down draft boards a little bit. But at 6'5", 210 pounds, he's a former basketball player, can outjump anybody. The amount of circus catches he made this year for USC was ridiculous. And Keaton Slovis had a very down year and just been going down ever since his freshman season at USC. Drake London, with his catch radius, I don't think he dropped. He had a few drops. I'm not going to say zero drops. <laughs> I'm not going to say absolutely zero. He had very, very few drops this season for USC. And for them, for the Eagles who have passed on Jefferson, who passed on Metcalf, to go back-to-back drafts and get Devontae Smith and Drake London, I think Eagles fans could kindly kind of forget about what happened in the past. Now, if London and Smith don't turn out to be anything, then we won't look at this very fondly, but I think they're too good to miss. If Drake London's available for the Eagles with their second pick, they have to take him. They have to get a wider receiver for Jalen Hurts, a number one guy. Devontae Smith could very well be that. If not, Drake London, two very different receivers, but could be very fun to watch for Philly. On number 22, the Dolphins take Trevor Penning. The Dolphins have used, what, five of their last six or seven first-round draft picks on linemen. So they got Tua in 2020, and then you drafted Austin Jackson, and then you drafted Robert Hunt in the second round. Then the next year, you drafted Jalen Waddell, and then you drafted Lee and Eikenberg. So three of your five first- or second-round draft picks in the last two drafts have been used, and I, I believe... Uh, Javon Holland was a second rounder as well from Oregon. But five of your last six offensive players you drafted in the first two rounds have been linemen. Three of your five, whatever. Three of your five offensive players you drafted. And none of them have really worked. Austin Jackson and Robert Hunt have both moved inside to guard. Now, to be fair to Robert Hunt, he was a guard-tackle hybrid, so that was kind of expected. Austin Jackson was supposed to be this athletic being that could transform the Dolphins offensive line. Him moving inside to guard... When you're a tackle taken very high and you move inside the guard after your second year, that's pretty damning on how bad you've been in the NFL. Sometimes it could work out well. It has not for Jackson, who has not been good at all in the NFL. And they need an upgrade. Penning's a mean SOB on the offensive line. Sure, he's playing FCS football, but the dude's the best offensive lineman in the FCS by far. And I saw this on Twitter. I don't think it's that far off. You and I might have had the greatest tackle duo in FCS history with Spencer Brown and Trevor Penning. That might actually be fact. <laughs> That's coming from little old Northern Iowa. They produced a third-round draft pick and a starter in the NFL and are soon to produce a first-round draft pick and a soon-to-be starter in the NFL. Like, Trevor Penning would transform the Dolphins' old line. They would have a very young offensive line, but it'd be a whole hell of a lot better if they drafted someone like Trevor Penning, who would not only help Tua, but would also open up holes in the run game as well. Uh, number 23, the Chargers, Jordan Davis from Georgia. Chargers run defense for pretty much my entire life has been pretty bad. And with Brandon Staley as the head coach, he's going to want to get some help on defense, one would imagine. And on inside of their defense, they run a 3-4 defense. Linval Joseph might be gone this offseason, and he's on the wrong side of 30. And Jerry Tillery hasn't really done a lot. He could be gone as well. So what are you going to do inside? you got to get someone like Jordan Davis, six foot six, 340 pounds, he would clog up a whole hell of a lot of run lanes. And, though he's not going to get to the passer all the time, he would clog up, take on extra blockers for a lot of the likes of Joey Bosa or Chenna Nwosu to get after the passer as well. Or even Jerry Tillery. So, I think Jordan Davis would be perfect for the Chargers defense. I think why he slips this far 
is because of the fact his pass rush ceiling isn't very high. But we're talking about best run defenders in the draft. He's number one. Or if he's not number one, he's number two. He ain't far off number two, <laughs> number one for this. You'd have to come up with a very convincing argument that he wasn't number one. Chargers need to get some help interior. Jordan Davis could be that guy. Number 24, the Lions, they need help out wide. Amon Ross St. Brown, I really like from USC. They got him in the th- uh, fourth round, I believe the Lions did. Garrett, J- Garrett Wilson, if he's available, take him. I don't think Jared Goff's that bad. No, I don't think they'll leave the draft without a quarterback. But I think in the first round, you get Aiden Hutchinson and Garrett Wilson. That'd be pretty awesome to see. That'd be pretty freaking awesome to see. <laughs> Garrett Wilson is not the biggest. He's not the fastest. But everything he does just works. He led Ohio State in receiving or was second in Ohio State in receiving yards. I don't remember. But either way, this dude was the dog of Ohio State's three-headed monster out wide. With Jackson Smith and Jigba, Chris Olave, and Garrett Wilson, Wilson was the guy. And he could play both slot or outside. He's very similar to the fact like Justin Jefferson or something. We're talking about guys that could play pretty much everywhere on the outside. Might get overshadowed by some of the other people. But Garrett Wilson is a freaking baller. And if he's available, the Lions have to take him. And then looking at their offense... If they get Wilson, their offense isn't really that bad. Like DeAndre Swift, TJ Hawkinson, then Taylor Decker, Frank Radnow, and Penny Sewell on the offensive line, and then Garrett Wilson out wide, that's not bad at all. This team has two wins now. And this is the type of weaponry they could have next year, which is kind of crazy to think about. 25, the Ravens take a Trevon Walker from uh, Georgia. Their D-line might all leave (laughs) in free agency, so you're losing Brandon Williams, or might lose Brandon Williams. You might lose Justin Houston, who's playing more of an outside linebacker. But you might lose Calais Campbell as well. All of them on the wrong side of 30. Calais Campbell just turned 35. Williams is turning 33 in February. And Houston's turning 33 in January. They need some help on defense. Walker can play both inside and outside. And for the Ravens playing a 3-4 defense, Walker would be perfect for that. He cut down from 290 pounds to 275 this year. But if he wanted to put it back on, he has the frame for it and could work perfectly in John Harbaugh's 3-4 defense, or Wink Martindale's 3-4 defense, sorry. But I think it'd be awesome fit for the Ravens defense, who is going to need some sort of upgrading this year because they've been kind of up and down this season. Uh, 26, the Dallas Cowboys. I'm kind of stuck on two picks. We'll talk about the other player in a little bit. But Cameron Thomas from San Diego State, edge rusher, get some more help on the defense because the Cowboys, though it's improved, it's still not amazing. Like, they had a, a horrific defense last year. Like, horrific, absolutely terrible defense last year. This year, Trayvon Diggs, this guy's 10th interception this game against the Giants. So he's one interception away from tying the all-time record in Cowboys history and two more from breaking the all-time record. Cameron Thomas could come off the edge. He has 10.5 sacks this year. He's one of the best in tackles for loss this year at San Diego State. The problem is Randy Gregory is going to be a free agent, and he's balled out. He could be looking for a big-time contract this year. And Demarcus Lawrence is turning 30, has played three games this year. Micah Parsons is going to need some sort of help on this defense, along with Trayvon or Trayvon Diggs. But Parsons is going to need some help getting after the rush, the passer. And with Cameron Thomas, who can play both inside and outside if need be, you could switch up defenses to allow Parsons more room to work as an outside linebacker rushing the passer. That'd be awesome to see. But I again, we'll come back to another player in a little bit on what my thought process is there. 27. Chiefs taking Chris Olave. Apart from Wills, or Hill and Kelsey, they don't really have a lot outside. Like, McCole Hardman's downgraded. Byron Pringle's nothing special. Like, they really don't have a lot outside apart from those two. 
Like, if you look at the game against the Chargers, those two had well over 100 yards. The next closest person had, like, 22 yards receiving. Like, they're exclusively those two guys. Now, they're special in their position. I'm not going to take anything away from them. But get a guy like Chris Olave, who is one of the best deep threats in college football and has 35 touchdowns to his name throughout his college career, which is 12 more than Wilson in his career and 10 more than Dotson, with no other player in this draft having 20 more touchdowns, 20 or more touchdowns in their career. Like, Garrett Wilson... Or uh, Chris Olave is really fun to watch. He's just very, he's not very big. That might be one of his issues. But he's like six foot tall. I bet he's about 175. I think that's what he weighs. Like, if we're looking for a deep threat for the Chiefs to add on to Kelsey and Hill, I think Olave might be their guy. Arizona, taking Andrew Booth from Clemson. They might lose Robert Alford this season. They cut Malcolm Butler pretty much before the season started or right as the season started. So. They need some help at corner. Byron Murphy plays more nickel corner anyways. Get another guy outside, stir up their defense even more. Uh, Andrew Booth is a very good lockdown corner, very physical corner, six foot tall, 290 pounds, or 200, 290, 190 to 200 pounds. Could cover anybody, very athletic. His last game against Wake Forest, he had three, or no, he had three interceptions. Wait, hold on. Two picks <laughs> against South Carolina, one against Wake Forest. Two in his final three games. Jeez, okay, three in his final two games. We're struggling here. I apologize for this. But they could need some help on defense. A little more help. Booth could be their guy at corner. Uh, 29, the, the Titans taking N'Kobe Dean. I don't like the N'Kobe Dean flow this far. I just don't think athletically he's the same as Devin Lloyd. It's, very, it's not like we're comparing... Like, again, it's like Pickett and Corral. It's not like there's a Grand Canyon-sized gap between the two. I just think Lloyd's a little better. And Dean, there's not a lot of other teams apart from the Eagles that could draft a quarterback or that have a really big need for a quarterback or linebacker. It's like the Giants, Eagles, and Titans are your top three teams, but I don't think the Giants at this point would take a linebacker with a top five, six pick. I don't think that would happen. So Dean, unfortunately, has a side to 29, but I think he'd be perfectly fine with that. The Titans might lose Rashawn Evans this offseason. He hasn't been that great since getting drafted by the Titans. He's been all right at best. And they got Zach Cunningham. But with Evans possibly being gone, Cunningham next to Dean, who's great in pass coverage, great tackler, great leader. I think Mike Vrabel, the former linebacker himself, would love a guy like N'Kobe Dean. 30, this is the one I kind of struggled with. Him, this guy at 30, and Cameron Thomas, I could flip back and forth. Roger McCreary, the cornerback from Auburn, best tackling corner in the draft, by far. Like, 49 total tackles this past year. He has 135 tackles throughout his career. No one else is anywhere close to that comparing the rest of the top cornerbacks in this draft class. Like, he just tackles everybody. And the the Buccaneers, they're losing a lot of people, or have free agents, a lot of people this offseason, mostly on their D-line. But their secondary, they brought in Richard Sherman on a whim, pretty much. But they've struggled with injuries in the secondary. Carlton Davis is also going to be a free agent this year. So I would look at them to get a corner. But if not, like the Cowboys, apart from Diggs, their secondary isn't very good. It's not the best secondary apart from Diggs. Their secondary numbers are very skewed because of how many interceptions Diggs had this year. So they could get a corner. Maybe they bring back Randy Gregory. So I might change this, even though it's been out for three days. Uh, But Roger McCreary could fit in either one. Both teams are in need of a corner. Both teams are in need of some edge rushing help. So... Either one would work for me. Uh, number 31, the Patriots taking a corner deck themselves. They J.C. Jackson's a free agent. They don't have Stephon Gilmore anymore. Jalen Mills has not been very good. So get another corner. Kyrie Elam, 6'2", 186. Very fast. Very athletic. Can make any play in the secondary. He hasn't had, like, 
an insane year this year, which will cause him to be lower on the draft rankings for regards to cornerbacks. But this dude's fun. He's a very fun corner. The Patriots will need some help at corner, so Kyrie Elam available, take him. And then finally, 32, the Packers take their first wide receiver in the first round since 2002. 20 years later, almost 22 years later. It'll be 20 years at the time of this pick, but 21-something year, year, months now. But they're losing some receivers. Devontae Adams, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, and Alan Lazard are all free agents. They'll probably bring Adams back. But even if they bring Adams back, they need some help out wide. They have no other weapons. Like Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Alan Lazard are fine, but they need some upgrades. Dehan Dotson can play both slot and the outside very fast. 5'11", 184, rarely drops a pass. He's never dropped a pass on a play over 20 yards. Like, Jahan Dotson makes every single play for Penn State. And if he comes to the Packers, I'm sure Packers fans and whoever their quarterback is would be very, very, very happy with this pick. Now, I did have a second-round draft in this one, so you can go check that out as well. I'm going to read off some of the key picks. So I had the Lions with the 33rd pick, taking Sam Howell from North Carolina. I think if we're talking about, much like Corral, Toughness is really key for Sam Howell. He didn't have the greatest statistical year, and he was very up and down in regards to that. But rushing-wise, balled out. Balled out running the ball. We said before the season he was a very underrated athlete. That he ran for about 900 yards this year. So, yeah, he put the nation on notes in regards to his running ability. And I think the Lions would like a quarterback. I don't think it'll be their first-round pick, but getting one in the second round will be fine. I had the Bears taking David Bell. Al Robinson possibly leaving. They need some weapons outside for, Ju- for Justin Fields. Dolphins had them taking Brees Hall, get the Iowa State guy in there. No running back will be drafted in the first round. At least that's how it looks right now. Brees Hall compares very well to Jonathan Taylor in regards to his running ability and his ability to catch the ball out of the backfield. Not like the most insane, not like Alvin Kamara, Christian McCaffrey, LaDainian Tomlinson type stuff, but he can be a good receiver out of the backfield, easily passing all his numbers receiving the ball at Iowa State this year. Dolphins need help at running back, and I unintentionally... Gave them two Iowa guys, Trevor Penning and Brees Hall. I think that would make a lot more people from Iowa fans of the Dolphins, which I would not like, but the Dolphins would be very, very happy with that. Saints have taken Carson Strong, the quarterback from Nevada. I don't think they'll draft one in the first round, but Carson Strong just feels too good to go to the third round. I have him as my fourth quarterback in the draft, but just what I feel for what the draft will turn out being, I don't think Strong will be the fourth quarterback taken. I think his lack of mobility will cause him to fall into the second round, even though... I think he has the best deep ball in this draft, and I think Sean Payton would really like someone like that. Uh, what other teams in draft? I had the Seahawks taking uh, Nicholas Petit-Ferrer, the offensive tackle from Ohio State. We have what, the Colts taking Martin Emerson, the corner from Mississippi State. They need help at cornerback. Is there any other teams that had second-round picks or didn't have first-round picks that I'm completely missing? I had the Vikings taking Darian Kennard, the uh, tackle-guard hybrid from Kentucky to assure up their interior O-line. We have... What other picks are really, like, worth mentioning? I, I don't know. I, we're going to let you guys read that yourselves. But you can go find that at LoganBlackmanShow.com. Again, you can go and read that up on the LoganBlackmanShow.com or make sure you're following me on all forms of social media. You can find that on any social media platform you follow me on. And with that, I that's what we're going to end it on. Now, real quick, we're going to fill you in on some of the NFL scores so you guys already know what these scores are going to be by the time the show comes out. We have right now the Bengals beating the Broncos 9-3. to the 49ers are beating the Atlanta Falcons 24-13. The Packers and Ravens are tied at 14 without Lamar Jackson. So, yeah, those are the scores we got on right now. We have the Raiders and Browns plus Vikings Bears on Monday Night Football and Seahawks, Rams, and Washington football team and Eagles on Tuesday Night Football. The return 
of Tuesday Night Football. And with that, that's all I've got for you today. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you did not, I can only apologize to you, but I sure hope you did. And with that, I will see you all later. Peace.